Let us pray. So, Father, we thank you that through Jesus you invite us to come into your presence in prayer. In prayer to the one who is acquainted with our every weakness and who desires to strengthen us and renew us. Father, fill our hearts with thanksgiving for your goodness in our lives this day. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. And again, good morning to everyone watching on the live stream. So glad that you've joined us as well. Wonderful, wonderful week we've had here at All Saints Church last Sunday through Tuesday with Bishop Bill Murdoch and wonderful presence of the Lord and um, times of ministry and prayer in the evenings. I'll have more to say about that later in my sermon, but thank you to everyone who came out, and I pray that the Lord touched you as much as he touched me during those times. Um, I do want to invite you this morning to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them, or there are some Bibles under the pews you can grab as well, and turn to our Gospel reading from Matthew 19, verses 16 through 22. Matthew 19, 16 through 22. I'm also going to ask you to mark 2 Kings 4, 2 Kings 4 and 2 Corinthians 8, which I'll be coming back to and referencing a little bit later in, the, in my sermon. I'm focusing today and next Sunday on financial stewardship. Three weeks from today, October 29th, is our annual Pledge Sunday. Finances, as I try to consistently emphasize, are only one aspect or facet of stewardship. And the fact is that stewardship, both financial and in all other aspects, really boils down to a matter of our hearts and the priorities of our hearts. It boils down to do we recognize that all that we are in Christ and all that we have is from God and that it is entrusted to us through his gracious favor and provision. All stewardship is a matter of the heart and our priorities, including our finances, reflect whether we recognize God's gracious favor in all that we are and all that we have and whether our priorities, the priorities of our lives are truly aligned with the heart of God. In Titus chapter 3, a passage that I quoted um, several weeks ago in my sermon, and Bishop Murdoch also included in his teaching, I believe on Monday night, we read these words of St. Paul. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, excuse me, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, St. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. All this is from God. Brothers and sisters, we must understand that all of this that we're talking about is from God. All of this is not by works done by us in righteousness. And when we truly and wholly grasp this, it transforms how we view every aspect of our lives, including financial stewardship. Looking at our scripture readings this morning, we see an example in Matthew 19 of the young man who, who missed it big time. 
In our Old and New Testament readings, we see examples of people who got it. So let's take some time to dive into these passages, especially Matthew 19, and then I have some concluding thoughts to share at the end of my sermon today. Today's reading from Matthew is the account of the rich young man and his encounter with Jesus, a a passage in Scripture that is familiar uh, to many of us. This encounter really gets to the very core, the essence of what we're talking about today. Because what we see in this encounter is a profound and tragic example of someone trying to attain true righteousness and eternal life through outward efforts and through human works. In contrast to a genuine work of the heart. It's a painful example of someone who did not grasp the truth that it is not because of works done by us in righteousness and who missed the reality that all of this is from God. And when we delve into this text, the tragedy quickly comes to light. The young man begins by posing to Jesus a question, teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus understands what this young man is thinking. He understands what's going on inside of him and the motivations behind the question. And the heart of the matter becomes apparent in the young man's question, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do? I do. And Jesus reminds him in light of his question about about what good deed He must do that there is only one who is good, and that is God and God alone. Again, pointing to the fact that the young man is missing the heart of the matter, which continues to become clear. Jesus tells him to keep the commandments. The young man says, which one? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So these are all God's commandments, but what, what's the issue here that Jesus sees through? What has the rich young man missed? Well, the commandments listed here by Jesus encompass commandments 5 through 10 of the Ten Commandments. Now, I'd invite you either to turn to Exodus 20, verses 3 through 17 in your Bibles, or reach under your pew if there's a prayer book there and grab a book of common prayer and turn to page 100. Either one is fine because we're looking here at the Ten Commandments for a moment. So turn to Exodus 20 or turn to page 100 in the book of common prayer. So what's the problem? Well, the commandments which the young man claims to have kept are all the commandments directed toward our fellow human beings. These are commandments that focus on right and godly action toward one's family and toward one's neighbors. But his response says nothing, nothing about his posture toward God. And Jesus knows it. Because the young man was still caught up in outward works, a list of superficial do's and don'ts. And for him, it was not a matter of surrender of one's heart, surrender of the entirety of one's being. He was missing it. He was confusing outward works with the reality and necessity of heart surrender. So the young man says to Jesus, what do I still lack? And Jesus replies this, 
if you would be perfect. The idea here is not of perfection of human efforts, nor some kind of sinless perfection. Rather, perfect here speaks of completeness or wholeness. Completeness or wholeness that comes through God and complete surrender to God's kingship in our lives. A completeness or wholeness which throws open the floodgates of our lives to God's gracious transforming power to work in us. Back to what we read in 2 Corinthians. All of this is from God. So let's come back to the Ten Commandments for a moment. You see, commandments 5 through 10 are only possible if we first grasp and live out commandments 1 through 4. And commandments 1 through 4 are wholly directed toward God. You see, this young man was trying to keep the commandments, even the Godward commandments, without surrender to God. And that's an absolute impossibility. Again, verse 21, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. It's about Christ's kingship. It's about surrender to Christ. And this is the only place where true transformation begins, brothers and sisters. Surrender. Surrender. You see, the young man wanted a teacher, a rabbi, but not a Lord who called him to surrender all to the one who makes all things new. True obedience, genuine obedience to God's commands only comes through complete, absolute surrender. It comes to a submission of the heart. And in this case, there was no surrender, no Godward submission. A little further along in Matthew's gospel in chapter 22, Jesus is questioned by a group of Pharisees and his response to them is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We heard these words spoken just a few minutes ago as we began our service. We hear these words spoken every Sunday. You see, only by first loving God with our whole heart can we begin to love our neighbor as ourselves. Oh yes, the young man was willing to act favorably and kindly toward his neighbor, but he was not willing to yield all that he had. And apart from a willing, surrendered heart, he could never love his neighbors as himself. In Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus' additional words to the young man are included, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. You lack one thing. And in this case, lacking one thing is to lack everything because that one thing is total surrender and yieldedness to God's work and transforming power in his life and in ours. Martin Luther, writing of this passage, said this, one thing, that is what you, that is what you lack, is everything. For you would be devout, and yet you refuse to give up your goods for my sake and to suffer with me. 
Therefore, mammon or money is your God, and you prefer it to me. What a contrast we see in this young man compared to the widow in 2 Kings. Her sons were enslaved to her creditors after her husband died to ensure that what was owed them would be paid. And if in no other way, they would get it out of her sons through a life of enslavement. But instead of clinging to her only possession, the only small thing of any worth that she had, a small jar, small jar of oil, which clinging to that would have made sense in the flesh, in the natural mind, instead she poured it out in obedience. And God met her with miraculous provision far beyond her own means. But that came because of her complete, complete surrender to God. Similarly, in 2 Corinthians, we read of the Christians of Macedonia. 2 Corinthians 8.2 tells us, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Did you hear that? In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed and a wealth of generosity. How does that happen? It comes right back to that place of surrender to the Lord. And verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 8 completes the picture where we read, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. From Matthew 22, this is the first and great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You see, the second commandment there, the second portion of the Ten Commandments, verses five, or Commandments 5 through 10, are contingent upon obedience to the first. The first is to love God. The first is to surrender wholly to Him. We must give ourselves first to the Lord. And this is not just finances or financial stewardship, but the whole of the Christian life begins with surrender. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think are innocent as well as the ones you think are wicked, the whole outfit. And I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. God will make his will ours. Disciples of Jesus surrender to the king. And how the king then allows us to use what has been surrendered, whether that be finances or gifts or talents or career or possessions and everything else that he gives us 
That's up to him. That is up to King Jesus. But we understand that it is all from him and it is all his. So I want to circle back even more to this theme of surrender to Christ. As I've reflected upon the past week and the wonderful times we had in God's presence, particularly Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday night, um, one of the things that God has very much impressed on my heart, this was going on before this week, but very much so since Bishop Murdoch was here, we are on the cusp of a fresh season in the life of All Saints Church. That's not hype. That's not just leaning into having a guest speaker. We are on the cusp of a new season in the life of All Saints Church. A season, I believe, with, of things which, with all my heart, that God wants to do in, among us, and through us. But that will happen only as we, all of us, continue to surrender to him. Bishop Bill's ministry this past week was very much focused on the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And there, he did extensive teaching on the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, particularly as it relates to the baptism or being filled with the Holy Spirit. And to be clear, that is not automatic just because we are believers. It is absolutely not automatic. And even after we experience that baptism or infilling, we need to, as Ephesians says, keep on being filled. And we need to remember why God fills us with his presence. It's not a bless me club. It's not about me. God fills us with his presence as we surrender to him to give us his power to do his work in his way. And it's not so much about us having more of God as it is God having more of us. Surrender. Yieldedness to the Lord. Are we willing to more fully surrender to God's will for our lives, for the life of our families, and for the life of this church? Are we willing to surrender in such a way that we let, and, and please be clear, this is not a rebuke or a correction. This is an exhortation. Do you hear my heart in this? Okay. So that Scott's not spanking the saints this morning. Okay. Let's be clear on that. But are we willing to surrender to God in our lives, in the life of our church, even where we let our nice thoughts about what ought to be and our agendas die, surrendering to what God wants, even if it's unexpected, even if it's different than what we thought, even if in some ways it's hard and challenging? Are we willing to surrender whatever that means and whatever it looks like, wherever he may take us as a church in his will. I believe that's God's call to us. To surrender and to yield. Yes, in align with the priorities of God's word and the things that God has done in this church in the past, but knowing that as we move into the future, that won't all look the same. Things will be different. And God is calling us as his people to, to reach out to the world around us. I've been, I know I've talked about this before, but this week it was profoundly poignant. And that may sound redundant, but that's what it was in my life. God desires for us to reach this community. This community all around us in Woodbridge and Dale City that is made up from people of all the nations of the world. We live in an incredibly international area. 
and not to the exclusion of any other group. Please hear me, but the Woodbridge zip codes, and this is 2023 statistics because I went back and checked yesterday. 42.3% of our neighbors in Woodbridge are Latino. That's over 18,000 people. 18,000 people. And God is calling us to reach them with the good news of the transforming power in the life of Jesus. Not, oh, come to our church, hear me, and learn English and then come along. No, let us learn your culture, let us learn your language, and let us go to you. If you want to argue with that, think about this. Isn't that what God did for us through Jesus? He sent his son from heaven to earth. Jesus is the perfect example of cross-cultural ministry. God is calling us to this. God is calling us to surrender to him, whatever that might look like, even if the road sometimes may be difficult and challenging and to press into his will and prayer and see him provide. Sunday night as we were here, I was very much immersed in prayer for a lengthy part of the service. And the Lord gave me a picture. And again, this is not a rebuke at all, but the Lord gave me a picture. And I said, Lord, is that from you? And kept saying that. And it was very clear. Yes, it is. It was from the Lord. And I didn't share it Sunday night because God was doing such wonderful things and touching people. And I felt like it would have, it could have been interpreted as a rebuke or corrective. And it's not. But the Lord gave me a picture of, um, I'm going to use an agricultural term called hard pan. Um, who in here? Anybody? I know we had some first service people that knew it. Hard pan. Hard pan in agriculture is when the soil on the surface becomes so parched and hardened that even if wonderful rain showers come, it just runs off. It just runs off and it's of no benefit. And, and what I felt like God was saying to me is we still have a very thin layer of hard pan here in our lives at All Saints Church. And again, this is not a corrective or a rebuke. This is an exhortation, okay? I know I keep saying that, but I, I want you to hear my heart. And what God showed me is that, in a sense, he wants to take his chisel plow, again, using agricultural terms, and break up that hard pan. Because right below the surface is this rich soil that he wants to pour out. He showers a blessing upon to bring growth not only to us, but to grow us in such a way that we reach out with the life-giving gospel and the food of the good news of Jesus Christ to the community all around us. He wants to water that fertile soil in our lives. He wants to water that fertile soil in the life of this church, that soil that's been cared for and tended for so many years. So this springs forth with new life, new gospel life in our families and in our community. But it all comes through fresh surrender. Saying, yes, Lord, knowing that all this is from God, knowing that all of this must be done by God in and through us, setting aside our stuff, me and you setting aside anything that we think ought to be for what God says is to be, and then moving into that by God's grace and power, knowing that just like he supplied miraculously oil 
for the woman in 2 Kings, he will supply us with the measure of his grace and his power and his love and his life to touch those around us. And that's really what faithful stewardship, put money aside, is all about. Surrendering to God and saying, Lord, take what you have done in me, take what you have given me and make me more fully yours. And Lord, do your work. I believe with all my heart that God is calling us to this in this new season. And I don't know what all that is going to look like, but I know that as we surrender to God, he is good and faithful and trustworthy. He does all things well. As my friend John Hobbs used to say, his name is Jesus. He is altogether lovely and he does all things well. So would you join with me in prayer and take some time here in the Lord's presence. We're not going to rush things. And ask God where he needs to break up that hard pan that's very thin, but needs to break that up in your life, where he needs to break that up in my life, where he needs to break that up in the life of our church, where he needs to dig deep with that Holy Spirit chisel plow in a sense and bring that rich, nourishing soil up to the surface that is life-giving, that, that when he rains upon it, springs forth in an abundance of life. Can we take a moment to ask God to, to speak to us? We'll begin with a time of silent prayer before I lead us and ask the Lord to speak to you about your life, your family life, my life, about your place and your ministry and what God has called you to at All Saints Church. So let us pray. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Spirit of the living God. Invite your presence. And Lord, show us in our lives, in the life of our church, those areas that are fallow ground that you want to break up, that you want to till so that the richness of your life is brought to the surface and springs forth. Lord, show us those places in our lives and the life of this church that are not surrendered to you or that we've tried to take back to ourselves. Lord, expose them by your gracious, loving kindness. Remove them and replace them with more of your fullness. And Lord, give us your heart. Give us your eyes. May we surrender self. May our love for you increase. And Father, then out of love for you that you pour into us, the love of Christ shed abroad in our hearts. Teach us and empower us to love our neighbors as ourself, which is to love our neighbors as you have loved us. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.